Hello, you Mavericks. It's Francis, your chief curiosity maverick, and I'm here with the one and only... Catherine Wells, That's your right. chief inspiration maverick. And we're talking to you about a fantastic summit. It is the Senior Living Transformation Summit occurring February 26th and 27th in Boston, Massachusetts. Catherine and I are so excited about this event. So yeah. Catherine, let's share those information. Yeah, so you need to be at this event if you want to learn how to become a data-driven yes. leader in senior care if you want to learn how to integrate technology into the home, mm -hmm. and if you want to lead transformation, not only to improve efficiency, yeah. but most importantly, to improve right. care. And the website is www.seniorlivingtransformation.com, so go check it out. Welcome to the Challenging the Way We Age podcast, hosted by the Mavericks of Senior Living, Francis and Catherine, focusing on creativity, ingenuity, and inspiration to educate and inspire changes in the senior experience, breaking the status quo. We want to thank our supporters, Assured Assisted Living, Serenity App, Sevens Home Care, and Sevens Residential Memory Care. Now get ready for the next episode. Hey, you Mavericks. We're excited to be here today. We're talking with Jill Vitale Awesome again. We had her on our Facebook Live not too long ago. And we are talking today about disrupting the status quo. I'm here with... I'm Francis, your chief curiosity maverick. And I am super excited because we've had Jill on the, the Facebook Live and it was a lot of fun. And now we get to dive deep into her amazing book on disruption. And uh, it's really important to, to talk about it where I think we're at a critical time here where the aging services needs to change and we need some, some, some people to push it. Definitely. So welcome, Joe. Thank you. Great to be back with you. Yeah, so excited. And we were talking before we started this recording about this book is the title is really targeted to the senior care community, but it's really applicable to family members, to the general population, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I think the, the reason I focused it on leadership is if we don't change the systems, nothing really will happen. And so that's why starting with the leadership of these organizations was so critical. Yeah, and I, th I think that's right. It's uh, And that's true in any business. And there is a part in here, and I won't find it quickly, but I, I'm going to share some of this. Um, as growing Boulder CEO Mark Middleton says, and this is really important, if we wait for institutional change to shift views of aging, it will be too late for all of us. And I think that's really the thing that that's got me in this strong. book. Yeah. yeah, I read that among many other things. This this book is, um, if, you, if you see my copy ever, it is just highlighted and written all over so and every page is marked. All my books are too, so. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many really, really good quotes in here. So I wanted to dive in a little bit and um, talk about some of the things mm -hmm. in the book. And I want to highlight three or four different things, and I'll maybe read a passage and then let you Great. Um, share a little bit more about it. Does that work? Perfect. Okay. So I'm going to dive in with workforce. Okay. Um, this That's one, a good place to start. I know, because we <laughs> all know we have some workforce mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. So there is a gentleman in your book on page 31 that you mention, and his name is Ernie. Mm -hmm. And you do something um, different in this community that you're talking about. 
you ate lunch with the residents. So they had the staff eating lunch with the residents mm -hmm. uh, rather than have the staff off in their own staff room. So here's what this says. Many of us ate lunch every day with residents, laughing and talking and just being. One of our maintenance team members told me how much he loved having lunch with the residents. They used to see me as the guy who fixes things in their apartment, he said. Now they know me as Ernie, a human being. Wow. Wow. That's cool. And that's what I said when he said that to me. Like, wow, this is, it's so much bigger, right? And, and so, you know, the team members had the opportunity to go to a separate break room, right? And be able to not be around people if they didn't want to. But this was really about shifting the way we do things, right? And the, the coming from the old hospitality model is you have everything separate. And it should be in a hotel because you're yeah. there, it's short and it's transact transactional. But what we did at the community is we said we want to treat, create a true community, right? right? And break down those barriers, yeah. blur the lines, and that's why we did that. So it was about having lunch together if you want to and using the fitness center together and going to classes and teaching classes. And really for team members, you know, we all have, need to belong. And I think a lot of times we miss the opportunity to have these communities be a real place of belonging, where you are more than your job title, and you are, as Ernie said, a human being. And, and that gets people more engaged, and you know, one of the things that people always tell us in this field is, what do you love most about your job? The residents. And we, we create these really kind of false barriers, and, and I don't understand why. And then we, then we manufacture opportunities for intergenerational engagement. <laughs> what do we have it right there? Oh my right? gosh, you're so right. So it was very powerful. It's siloed, like Catherine always says, everything's siloed in yes. it. And, and it's this idea of this, like you said, imaginary barrier of why can't a, a team member engage go for a walk when yes. you know after lunch instead of walking yes. by themselves why can't they bring three residents with them right or why can't they all sit and have a laugh around a tv show or uh, i mean i i think we're so rigid i feel yes. like we've lost playfulness and fun in aging and now it's this idea of it's got to be stoic it's got to be this you can never smile or laugh or have fun it's like it's got to do i mean like what right the, what, what? unless it's customer service smiles but even then those are fake Ooh, which smiles. are right. different which right is, right exactly okay. exactly yeah and i would say that in the smaller homes there is some of what mm -hmm. we're talking about <clears throat> so it's really more in the larger communities well not all of them right there are some that but but the right. the very prevalent model is about service to and not about community. Well, I, I saw in the most recent article is it's something about we needed more hospitality in senior living, and I was like, I don't know if we need more hospitality. Yeah. I wonder if they meant more compassion, more Maybe. more I, something I different, not yeah. hospitality in the true sense, because hospitality is a it, it's a craft, it's a study, it's go to Disney. That is hospitality. So but are they saying Disney engages their? I mean, again. Do you think it's an engagement issue, though? Do you get better engagement when the team members can feel more part uh, of the of the community? Yes. Right. Well, and the other really interesting thing is when you ask people to pretend they're happy when they're not happy. Right. right? It's this whole emotional labor, which is what we do in, in these jobs. 
it, all these studies have found it leads to burnout. Yeah. Like yeah. people who work in restaurants mm-hmm. and pretend like everything's fine, even though you want to cry, um, <laughs> which we do a lot when, especially like during, you mm-hmm. know, there are tough times in communities and communities go through things together, right? right? Mm-hmm. The other thing I, I, w- I was just thinking about this recently is um, there is no research, and if there is research, I would love somebody to send this to me, that shows that we age better and live better in a place where everybody's doing stuff for us. I don't when think we're, we... When we, are, when we have convenience, like there is, but there is all kinds of research that shows we age better in community when we truly belong, when we have purpose. So I don't know why we've gone down this road in the first place, because there's really no science to back it up. To me, that loses sense of purpose. Yes. And we've talked about this before. Purpose is important. Yes, it is. And even in communities where people, like look at a life plan community, mm-hmm. right? My parents live at a life plan community mm-hmm. where they pay, it's it's a significant amount of money to move in and to, to continue to live there. Yet they seek out opportunities to give back and volunteer their time right. and do for the community, mm-hmm. right? So, and and you even see that in 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 nurse, I shouldn't say even, but in nursing homes, with people living with dementia, living with frailty, saying, "What can I do? How can I help?" And people are begging for the these opportunities. So it's it's very interesting. It is, I, and I think so. That kind of ties into the next section that I want to touch on, which is culture. Mm-hmm. And there oh, are yeah. three points that I want to pull out of your book. There's so many points, so I just had to work hard to pull the ones um, that we could talk about today. Um, so culture, people need to feel like they belong. And this requires that members have um, influence. Mm -hmm. And this is, let me read this. A sense of community also requires that members have influence. People need to feel that they matter, that they're a part of something, and that they have an impact on their communities. So share a little bit more about that. What does that mean? Well, where that all comes from is from community psychologists and what do I mean this is based on research of what do you need to have a true sense of community and influence is one of those things and so and and a lot of what I write in my book is it's really based on the mistakes I made Um, so I'm not I don't want to you know be bashing all these communities because everybody's doing a great job and doing the best they can best they can with what they know right now right right? and what we're saying is now let's learn better and do better Um, but you know the way I always used to look at at things in my community is I was doing a great job if the residents had input Mm. okay so if I was doing um, like I remember we were doing a um, remodel and I said okay do you want the blue carpet or the gray carpet and oh now I've given you the opportunity Influence is much different, right? Influence is about people um, actually working together to come up with a solution to change the trajectory of the community. So when I really started understanding that and learning that, it was basically through the Eden Alternative, everything changed and it stopped being, you know, bring me all of your problems and I shall fix it for you. Um, to how are we going to work through this together and how are we going to fix this? So, you know, that was a- a- anything that came up. Well, we should do this. The, you know, residents saying we should do this. It's like, okay, well, let's sit down. How are we going to do this together? Um, that's cool. So that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. 
big difference. It's way different than input. And I think this is one of the really challenging things as a leader in a community is you are trained to, especially from the hospitality model, that, you know, bring your problems to me. I own your problem and I fix it. And you, it also requires that you start to trust and you're really mm -hmm. empowering people. And that, it, it takes time and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and it's, but it's saying to people, I, I'm, not, I'm not really used to doing this, but I want to try this. Let's try this together and see how it goes. And just being a person, again, just like Ernie, yep. being a human being. Yeah. And, and it really makes such a big impact. Yeah. And I, I think what I really love about that is it's going into unfamiliar territory mm -hmm. and being okay with being in unfamiliar territory. Yes. And being able to say, there might be some chaos as we go through this. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Well, so... In the, in the resort model, we strive for perfection. Okay. Community is messy. <laughs> it is messy. You, we all live in a community. Mm -hmm. I mean, is our town always perfect? Is our neighborhood always perfect? No, because it's people. And so you have to embrace that. Why do we try then in aging services to make it so perfect? Is it because of the sales process, because of that stuff? I, I, well... You know, I'll go always go back to you. It's it's we have implicit bias about aging in our own minds. Those of us who are uh, creating communities and running communities, that this is what when you are older, all that you need is somebody to take care of you and do things for you. Mm. And, do you see what I mean? Absolutely. And so, Absolutely. and and yeah. my job then is to make it the best experience you can have. And that's why I'm always like, when people talk about creating experiences for residents, I'm like, let's take a little step back because people should be creating their own, their own experiences. experiences. The moment you said that, yeah. I thought, that's not for us to do. Right, right. It is at Disney at World. Right. Right. But and Disney World isn't real life for them to create their own experience right. and a culture that supports it. Right. And that's what has to change because we've also taught all of us as we get older, we, we believe that same stuff that, oh, when I'm older, I can't do this and I can't do that. And here's the best I can expect. So you have to also undo what all of the residents in the community have in their heads. I want to uh, dive into the next one, which is tech. Oh. So I'm, I'm the gadget girl, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I love technology. Um, when I got to your tech chapter, I was really excited. Here we go with tech. And then what you got to was that technology drove a culture of trying new things mm -hmm. and making it okay to fail. Yes. And I thought that was really That's interesting. Awesome. So a technology of culture driving it being okay to fail. A new culture of acceptance was created. People suddenly became more comfortable with making mistakes and even looking foolish as they learned new things. That's cool. Yeah. It was amazing to walk by the fitness center in the morning and see men who I thought were buttoned up, serious types, trying very silly dance moves in exercise class. So tell us a little bit about how you got to mm -hmm, this point with mm -hmm. technology that it created that culture. Well, this was at um, a community that I was leading and we brought in um, touchscreen tablets for every resident in every apartment. And the whole goal was to, we used to have a, a very manual uh, way that we would um, do, we called it resident check-ins, but right, it's, I got up this morning, I'm fine. 
So that we it, so it hit a button right. or pull a cord or something. Like right. That? Okay. Actually, it was a crocheted ring they would hang on their door. Oh, cool. Highly okay. labor intensive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And a, a lot of opportunities for failure, yeah, right? Yeah. Like people. Right. Um, but we brought in these tablets um, that not only had that, but um, where they could look at. Uh, what's going on in the community that day. We could send messages if there's an emergency, all these kinds of things. And this was, so this was probably like nine, ten years ago. Oh, wow. When a lot of people weren't using technology. Now it's a lot, it's a, a bit different. Um, the people that live there, you know, average age 85. We have people who are 102 years old. When they retired, fax machines were the new yes. technology, yes. right? And so that oh, a lot yeah. of them hadn't kept up yeah. with technology. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so they were just terrified. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually had, there was a, a, a volunteer who, who told me, um, she said, you should be ashamed of yourself doing this to these poor old souls. What? She said, why are you doing this? In a loving this? way, right? And the, and the res <laughs> a lot of people thought, oh, I can't learn something new. I can't learn yeah. something new. No. The residents there who wanted to, that, that were excited about it, um, ended up being the ones who taught everybody else how to use the, the tablets. Perfect. They taught, I mean, and, and it was things we never would have known. Um, like, you have to teach people how to, how to tap when oh, yeah. you've never used a touch screen. Mm -hmm. We need to teach on paper when you're not used to technology and yeah. then bring in, because we were trying to teach on tablets, but the, yeah. the residents there knew how to make it work. And, you know, people learned how to use it, and they got over their fear. And then they're like, well, how do I get on the Internet? And how do I oh, cool. do Facebook? And oh, cool. it was that that then, uh, that's my my belief of what happened, you know, is that, that that then led people to say, and actually one of the residents said that, now that I recall this, that once I learned how to do this, I realized I could do anything. Wow. Okay. wow. Right? And so it was. It was exploration. It's okay to make mistakes. Figure it out that led to all these other things. Cool. So I, as That's you're cool. describing that story, I'm thinking about teaching a 16-year-old how to drive, although none of the 16-year-olds want to learn how to drive anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you teach someone how to drive, it it opens up freedom to them. Mm -hmm. It gives them access to yeah. a world they didn't have, and that's what you did with yeah, this. Yeah, that's what they. That's what they did. And they yeah. did. They yeah. created that. So back to them creating their own experience. Mm -hmm. They figured out how to create that experience that was going to work for them and and open doors and helped each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it was yeah. just us, well, here's our tech expert staff member. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. They help people helped each other. You empowered the community to make the community better. Mm -hmm. Going back to taking away some of that messiness, the the community itself decided we're going to get a little more organized, and that's when you have your best output. Yeah. Is everyone was involved. All right. So let's talk about power and purpose because we've been talking a lot about this. There was something. This a story is unbelievable that happened when you were managing a community in Las Vegas. Uh huh. And I'll let you tell the story about uh, how we got up to this point. We listened to the proceedings, and when it was time, I made my statement asking for the maximum sentence. I introduced the residents and explained that I was speaking at their request and on behalf of the woman who was missing wedding rings, who due to dementia was unable to speak for herself. I explained how John must have pried the rings off her fingers as she lay in bed, powerless to stop him. The judge sentenced John to no less than five years in a federal penitentiary. And when you hear this story, it's it's just chilling to hear. And he almost got off scot-free. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about this? Sure. So 
um, this was, as you said, a community in Las Vegas, an assisted living community, and we started having theft happening, right? Which happens sometimes in communities. At first, I didn't know it was theft. I'm like, well, maybe things are misplaced. But Which happens a lot. In yes, it, it does. Yeah. But you know, it, it seemed like almost every day I would have somebody say, "Well, this okay. was missing. Somebody, so and so is missing their ring. This person's missing cash." And every time I would call the police, mm -hmm. and they would come in and they would be like, "Well, you know, it's really hard to catch people. And why don't you, you know, get everybody on the lookout?" And there was the resident council president. <laughs> his name was. <laughs> His name, I call him uh, Bill, I believe, in the book. Um, but he was a, a uh, retired Marine. But not retired. Marines never retire. That's right. That's he, right. He made sure I knew that. And he was like, uh, you know, we're going to find that son of a bitch. And so, like, we were working together on finding this awesome. thief. And there was a maintenance as assistant who was helping me set up a, a, a trap to try to catch the person. One of the residents who had been missing a lot of things um, agreed to let us set up a camera in her um, living room of her apartment. And we got the, the powder. Mm -hmm. There's this powder that if mm -hmm. you touch it, it turns your hands blue. And we put cash out and had powder everywhere and nothing ever happened. But then thefts were happening in other places. And so thankfully, one of the time, many times that I had the police come in, there was this detective and he said, um, has anybody told you that we have a, a pawn detail? and we register every single thing that is pawned in pawn shops in Las Vegas. You know, if you'll wow. send me information about all your team members, I'll run a cross check. And I was like, well, I don't know if, I don't know if my boss would say I can do this, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes, okay. And he, he called me back like a day or two later and said, we found our guy, it was John. The maintenance the assistant guy. who had been helping us, helping me try to catch the person. And this right? is the guy that was right next to you while you put the yeah. dusty stuff mm -hmm. and set mm -hmm. up the cameras. And everybody loved him. Yeah. I trusted him. All the residents trusted him. And so it was completely devastating yeah. for our community. And, you know, everybody was really, I mean, it was a feeling of being victimized because it wasn't just having things stolen it was you trusted somebody yeah and what I learned um, because I had an amazing boss um, was that we could go in one of two directions we could um, you know shield everybody from it mm-hmm Try to keep it quiet. Which is take what you would do in it, hospitality. Which right? is what you would do, right? Everything bad yeah. things happen, you know, behind it, the curtain. Behind the curtain. Um, but we realized that if we did that, we wouldn't be giving the people that live in that community the opportunity right. to get justice. Yep. And so in Las Vegas at this time, there were, you know, the police had other things to do, right? Yeah. And the district attorney. I think at any time. Yeah, and the <laughs> district attorney, and and so. Um, the detective said, you know, if you don't stay on the, the DA's office, this guy's probably going to get off with probation. And so we wrote letters, the residents, and we, we were writing letters. We were calling them, like, basically harassing yeah, the DA. Right. You got to do what you got to do. Right. And eventually, when the time came for this, this sentencing, mm -hmm. um, I went and talked to the residents, and, and I said, you know, they want me to make a statement. Do you want me to? And the residents uh, there, in and, and Bill, the resident council president, said, yeah, but we are going with you. And That's so cool. we loaded up, like every seat on the bus was taken, and we drove down to City Hall. And I just remember, <laughs> this was like the best. I mean, even though it was terrible, it was like the best day. Right. Like all these people going through security with walkers and wheelchairs, and the security <laughs> guards are like, what's happening, what's happening? here? <laughs> but we, you know, with a, the, 
what it did, and we were able to see him sentence, he got the maximum uh, mm -hmm. penalty he could get, um, and everybody's cheering on the way home, and it, it took people who are usually relegated to victim status into a, a different place, right? Where a sense of power, a and sense of power, and taking that back, yeah. and it healed us rather than devastating Correct. us. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that story, Jill. It's it's just so incredibly powerful. I, I really loved how a negative turned into this community building where the community came together, was excited about the outcome. I mean, it was just. It goes to show you that certain negatives can really draw communities mm -hmm. together. Yes. Yeah, and it's how you choose to deal with it. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's a really crazy story, but a, an awesome outcome. So I'll say for me, that's the one of the many that one really, really inspired me. Thank um, you. I'm glad. Uh, so then there is a section on it's my life, and this is the last thing that we'll cover out of the book, but. This is really talking about if you've ever had a, a, someone in your life that you love who you're saying, oh, they're a fall risk. Oh, we can't take them out. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. I have done this many times with my parents. And um, they say to you, it's my life. I want to do what I want to do. And we know we're just trying to keep them safe. Right. So that's what this chapter is about. Um, this gentleman, his last name is Al Alanius. Alanius. Okay. Yes. Alanius went on to explain that his children were constantly worried about him riding his scooter. <laughs> they were afraid he would have an accident and get oh. hurt. I tell them to take that worry off themselves, he said. I remind them that this is my decision. I'm not hurting anyone else. And if I die riding my scooter, they should know that I died doing what I love. It's the same thing with this step. It's my life, not yours. And the risk is worth it to me. Mm. Wow. That's right. awesome. Tell us about the step that he's oh, referring to. Well, this is one of, as I refer to, one of the dumb things I've done uh, and learned from. But so John um, uh, moved into the community that I was leading. Okay. okay? And, and John, um, he uh, lived right down near Coors Field. Like he's a hip happening dude, right? Mm -hmm. And before he moved in, he said, if you can wire things up so I can have my hot tub on my patio, I'll move in. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. We can make that happen. Um, and... So right after he moved in and he had a ground floor apartment, um, he said, you know, I really would love to be able to just walk right out on my patio and jump over, you know, be able to get to my car, his little sports car, convertible sports car, of course. Um, <laughs> and he's how old? Oh, gosh. At this point, 85? I think he's 80 now. He's 80 so. now. Okay. All right. Um, right. And so he was a younger guy. He was moving yeah. in. It didn't really, it wasn't a needs-based decision, and okay. he wanted to be in charge of his own life. So he okay. said, you know, could, could, I, could I put a step um, on, on the other side of the wall so I can walk out of my patio, hop over the wall, and be able to just get to right to my car? And I, I said, <laughs> you know, John, that wouldn't be safe. Um, I talked to our risk management team about it. We're really worried that you're going to get hurt and no, you can't do that. And he was so mad at me and we still talk about it to this day when I see him, <laughs> but he would come in my office and just give me a hard time and say, you know, why can't we do this? You're really undermining my opportunity to do what I want to do. And, you know, eventually he came in and said that to me about wow. his scooter. Wow. And when he told me that, I thought, wow. 
wow, what am I doing? You know, and it, it really comes back to you. So, so Dr. Bill Thomas, who's our founder, calls that surplus safety. Surplus safety? Yes, surplus okay. safety, where, you know, risk has two components. There, there's the uh, possibility something could go really well, and there's also the possibility something could go much worse than you think it will. And all we do in this field is focus on the bad things that can happen. Yeah. But life involves risk, which and, and, and leading a life that's meaningful to you involves risk. As long as you're not hurting other people, right. we need to figure out how to minimize that, but support risk-taking because they're really, and again, Dr. Thomas says, the only risk-free human environment is a coffin. Wow, yeah. that's also a very good So note. it's complex, but it's something we need to continue to dig into as a field. And you had a mind shift right mm. in that very moment. Yes. I could tell in the reading and even as you were describing it, and that that's a subtitle to your book, yes. which, again, is Disrupting the Status Quo of Senior Living, a Mind Shift. And we'll put note, we'll put all this in the show notes as well, too, and links to, to be able to purchase the book, because you should purchase the book. Yeah, even if you're just interested in right. in this industry yes. at all, it's a fascinating read. And then the rest of the book is really about how do you make it happen. Mm -hmm. And we're we're going to leave that because you need to buy the book and and check it out. And as we like to wrap up, I always like to talk about what I'm inspired by, mm -hmm. and I I think I've already done that in addition to Ernie. Ernie just made me tear up a little bit. What made you curious, Francis? Uh, I'm really curious as to what impact this has on our current models. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we've talked about this a lot off camera and stuff in, in, in the book, obviously, is I don't think we're building the models that our older adults either want or deserve to lead this my life, to use mm -hmm. that as a statement, to lead their life how they want to lead it. And so I'm curious to see what's it going to take for us to really challenge what we think needs to be built and actually build things that are, are what they deserve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited because I hear more people talking in a different way about things, all right. like you all, right? And, and the more... You, the more you talk to people, there are a lot of people who are starting to think this way, but we have a long way to go. Correct. Somebody, I was talking to somebody yesterday who said, you know, that if you think about the, the current way we're doing things is like a highway, okay. the way we're trying to do things is like a little side road <laughs> going off of it. Yeah. But the more traffic you get on that little side road, eventually it, it becomes the main road. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I, what I try to do when we try to do at the Eden Alternative is not get discouraged with the slow pace of change, but to celebrate those bright spots where True. things are happening. And it is happening in places, and there, and we're going to see more and more of this. You yeah. all are, are driving a big change by getting a different way of thinking out there. Right. So, Catherine and I were talking last night. I said, uh, you know, I know patience is a virtue. However, I have a very hard time being patient sometimes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I'll just, I know, me too. Yeah. But you're undoing years of, of yeah. training True. we've gotten in our heads the way yeah. we think about aging from True. the time we're little kids right. you're undoing decades of of industry experience this is how we do things mm -hmm. it takes time right so jill one of the things that we're doing now in 2020 is asking our guests who in your life has been a maverick and why that is a great question, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I'm in the org the Eden Alternative is all Mavericks, right? Yeah. We have like this global network of Mavericks, and I've been thinking about what 
how did I get to this place? Like, why does that attract me? And, and when I think back, I think about when I was a kid, right? And my Aunt Carol was um, an artist and a silversmith, and she would always hang out and color with me, like hours and hours and hours, right? And we'd be coloring, and I always remember, and she was a, a maverick in, in the work she did too, but I remember her saying, we, we, we were coloring, and I was coloring a tree, okay? So of course I'm like, please pass me the green and the brown crayon, Aunt Carol. Mm. And I remember her saying to me, you know, Jill, just because everybody colors trees green and brown doesn't mean your your tree has to be green or brown. Your tree could be purple. And I, you know, as a little kid, you're like, what? What do you mean my tree can be purple? That's not what trees look like in anything I've ever seen. And, and, and just that freedom of picking up a purple crayon yeah. and coloring a tree purple and like, the police didn't come in and arrest me. You know what I mean? You didn't combust. I, I didn't get grounded. It really stuck with me and helped me to wow. realize that just because this is the way everything mm -hmm. seems to be, this is the way that people have told you this is the way the world is, doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Right? And it's sort of, that's my version of coloring outside the lines, right? Is your tree doesn't have to be green. And the reason this really has been in my mind lately is I was in Australia this fall for the Eden Alternative Conference there, and guess what they have there? They have purple trees. They have purple trees. Do they? Yes, they do. Jacarandas, I think. Do you have called. pictures? I do. We need to put a picture in our show notes too. Mm -hmm. So it, it all came one. back to me. Oh I'm like, goodness. wait, there actually are purple trees. But wow, wow. I mean, it goes to show you though that when you think creatively and mm -hmm. challenge yourself to think outside the norm, you can inspire some really amazing outcomes yeah. and do you think that people are just scared to break away from the norm is it a is it just an internal yes. fear it's terrifying to do something different mm -hmm. right because you stand out you're doing something different and all of a sudden people are looking at you and it's much safer to stay within mm. the but it really is you know just the impact of one brief moment yes in your life that i think it's really affected the way i think about things I'm sure it has. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful story. It's really powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. So how uh, can people find more about you and, and all, you know, and all the great work that you're doing? How, how can they, how can our listeners and viewers, you know, learn more about you? Well, go to the Eden Alternative website. Okay. And I'm sure you'll put We'll the put all the show in notes in there, yeah. Um, and there's all the information about what we're doing as an organization. Okay. And then if they go to um, About Us and our team, okay. my email address is right there. Okay.